Good morning and welcome to the Thrive Subscribe podcast. Randy and I, for the first time, are actually in the room together today. How you doing, Randy? I'm doing well, Mike. Thank you. So this is our 11th podcast. Can you believe we've already done 11 of these? I know I can't believe we've done that many, although I feel like I probably have done quite a few because <laughs> I'm doing almost every week. Yeah. So, you know, how did you get started, you know, with this whole thing? Where did the idea come from? Well, I think it really came from um, a variety of people, and you included, as far as all the changes that are occurring in pharmacy practice, and maybe bring some thought leaders uh, into the um, realm of what we're doing as far as transform transforming community pharmacy practice. And these leaders um, are doing their own thing with their own um, areas of expertise that's really helping to move practice along. That, that's what I like about the whole idea of a podcast, because as much as I enjoy writing things like uh, the Thriving Pharmacist blog, it's really just my input and my viewpoint. And, you know, the reality is so many fantastic pharmacists are out there doing incredible things, and we get the opportunity to bring them in here and, and share their stories with everybody. So what, what's happening you know, pharmacy in pharmacy in your world today, Randy? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things happening with uh, nationwide with Flip the Pharmacy, and Flip the Pharmacy um, is that uh, movement of where we're helping transform community pharmacy practice. It was funded by the Community Pharmacy Foundation, and we consider it the big idea. And the big idea is how can we scale at a na national level uh, the transformation process? Because we've done it in pockets, and we know that primary care has done it as well, too. How can we take those learnings? Um, both at a pharmacy and from a prescriber level, and then implement some of the changes that need to occur to really transform pharmacy practice. So I would say a good percentage of my time anymore is, is helping lead the efforts as director of practice transformation um, to help these pharmacies make changes. And I tell you, Mike, it's very exciting for me because I saw some of the statistics more recently. You know, really our measuring point right now is how many e-care plans people can submit. And in the first two months, we've seen over 30,000 e-care plans being submitted by just the Flip the Pharmacy pharmacies. We have 571 pharmacies that are part of that first cohort. Not everybody has submitted an e-care plan yet, so those 30,000 e-care plans are really being represented by about 400 of those pharmacies. If you compare the first six months of 2019 to all of the e-care plans that were submitted by the entire network of CPESN USA, and that represents about 2,400 pharmacies. Um, there was about 20,000 e-care plans. So you can see in just two months the impact we've had with a small cohort of, of pharmacies that are really working hard to transform their practices. So it's very exciting for me to see that uh, the fruits of our labor are really paying off. That's really impressive, and, and I'm, I'm just so uh, impressed by the, the scope of the whole Flip the Pharmacy idea. Uh, in fact, I probably ought to just sit down and we interview you for change once in a while. Uh, speaking of which, who are you going to talk to today, Randy? Um, it's Dr. Brooke Griffin from Midwestern University. Uh, Brooke has been very involved in helping uh, students um, kind of wade through the changes and transformations that are occurring you know, in the job market out there and, and make sure they're prepared. And so she has a lot of good ideas and, and uh, a lot of good insight into pharmacy practice. So it's, it's very exciting to be able to talk to Brooke. And so without further ado, let's bring in Brooke. Good morning, Brooke, and welcome. Hi, Randy. So excited to be here. We're excited to have you here. And, you know, as I went through and looked at some of your accolades and, and some of your accomplishments, it's very impressive. And one of the things I, I looked at was your interest areas. And it's you talk about embedding pharmacists and patient care teams. Can you explain this or expound upon this? Sure, absolutely. 
I completed a pharmacy residency in ambulatory care, and I've been practicing in AmCare for my entire career. And I've been fortunate to have worked in several different health systems around Chicagoland. And in healthcare, we talk about clinicians working in silos, which totally exists. But practicing in AmCare has showed me what working on an interdisciplinary team was like. And when you have all healthcare disciplines working together, each bringing their strengths to the table, the patient wins, the health system wins, quality care improves, and all staff feel fulfilled. The best experience I had was within a medical group where all practitioners were under one roof, a physician, nurse practitioner, PharmD, dietitian, social worker, PT, and really ill patients were transferred to this clinic, patients who were high utilizers of the healthcare system, like frequent ED visits and hospitalizations. And within months, by working together, we saw admission rates go down. We saw adherence rates go up. We saw behavior changes, which, as we know, impacts health greatly. And as the pharmacists on this team, we made connections to local community pharmacists to kind of close the circle. And we did the best to optimize meds in a really challenging population. And we were successful. So because of this experience and my other care experiences, it just makes me want to shout from the rooftops that multidisciplinary teams those that allow people to exercise their strengths, these teams actually address some of the wicked problems we see in healthcare today. So pharmacists should be embedded in more teams, and we actually should be considered from inception. We shouldn't just be considered gravy or only attainable when the budget allows. Pharmacists and AmCare, though, you know, we haven't really shown our value in a way that makes financial sense to people who make decisions about staff. It's also hard to tie great outcomes to one discipline. You know, attribution is a buzzword in pharmacy right now. And although pharmacists are comfortable saying it's a team effort, the people who manage FTEs, they want to see actual ROI for pharmacist-specific outcomes. I appreciate that. You know, it's very similar to some of the things that but I'm seeing as well. In fact, I uh, was presenting this uh, past couple of days uh, at a college of pharmacy. And, you know, I said, I want to get to the point where pharmacists are not an afterthought, but just are part of the decision process. And when we talk about the healthcare team, pharmacists are part of it. And again, not something that we have to force <laughs> that people are thinking afterwards. And I appreciate when you talk about all the providers working together and in your particular situation, the example that you gave, where the all under one roof, where you saw emission rates decrease and adherent rates increase. And so overall um, metrics improved for the patients because everybody was working together. Everybody had their strengths. And, and because of that is a very complimentary uh, team, which is what's supposed to be. You said something, too, that you connected with community pharmacists. You know, as we talk about transformation of pharmacy practice and in the role of community pharmacists, how do you see that expanding in the in the type of model that you're talking about? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think we're going to see a lot of changes in community practice just because the, the way the reimbursement is going right now. So I think pharmacists are going to be kind of forced to use some of their other skills, some of their AmCare skills. Um, we're going to probably see more med rec. We're going to see more pharmacists involved in transitions of care, um, helping patients navigate, going back and forth between the hospital and SNFs and other nursing homes, and being able to utilize pharmacy skills in a different way. I don't think we're going to be tied to product as much in the future anymore. So we're going to have to be open to using some of these other skills that we may have to blow the dust off a little bit. Maybe we haven't used those in a while, but I think we're going to be seeing more pharmacists use those types of skills. Can I ask how you're preparing your students for this new world, this new transformation of a pharmacy? 
because what I um, constantly discuss out there is, to me, a pharmacist should be a pharmacist should be a pharmacist. Are we there yet? No. Um, but the skill sets that a community pharmacist have should be the same skill sets as a health system pharmacist, as an AmCare pharmacist, or a pharmacist in a specialty clinic. You may not have the same knowledge, but the clinical skills and the way you apply those clinical skills to ensure patient outcomes should be the same. So what kind of changes are happening, at least from your academic center, to try to um, improve those skill sets and prepare students that it doesn't matter where you're practicing at, you got to have the same skill sets? Yeah, that's a really good question, Randy, and a challenge that I think all colleges and pharmacy are facing right now because we're all training students to have the same kind of foundational PharmD degree. And that foundational PharmD degree, at least at Midwestern, is very clinically oriented. So we train our students to have the ability to make therapeutic decisions, to make changes to the medication regimen. We do a ton of work in communication skills with our students. We have improved or increased the number of simulation activities that students have access to. So it's no longer role play with your peers. We actually have patient actors that students interact with, and they actually get feedback from the patient actors after the simulation is completed. So the patient actor will tell the, will tell the student, you didn't really make eye contact with me when you talked to me about my medication regimen, or you made me feel nervous when you told me about the side effects. So we're giving them this real-time feedback, which this generation of students appreciates, and we're really preparing them for the one-on-one -on -one conversation and the clinical-based skills. I think we also have to have the conversation with students that the more additional training you have, it is going to differentiate us, and not every pharmacist will look the same depending on that additional training. I know that some health systems have moved into the model where you may have a PGY2-trained pharmacist who is now uh, required to staff or cross-cover. And that can be challenging when they haven't used those sets of skills in a really long time. So I think we all understand that we have this foundational PharmD, but then we also have to appreciate the advanced training that some pharmacists do obtain. I appreciate that. One of the other things that you've been involved in, um, Brooke, is you're the creator of a website, um, www.21stCenturyPharmD.com, which is an online platform for, person, uh, for personal and professional development tools for pharmacy students. Can you tell us more about this online platform and how you're utilizing that to prepare students? Yeah, sure. Thank you for mentioning that. I love working with students. I've been in academia my entire career. It's the only job I've had. And as you know, Randy, from your previous position, pharmacy schools include professional development courses in the required curriculum. However, a couple of years ago, I was working with a group of fourth-year students who were about to graduate, and we started talking about networking, LinkedIn, professional organizations, advocacy, personal branding, and it became quite apparent that they wanted to feel more prepared for life after graduation. There's this whole conversation happening outside of the four walls of pharmacy, and I wanted a way to bridge that gap, to bring the real world to them. But I knew I needed to meet them where they're at, which is online. So I started this virtual space. First, it was a website, uh, which still exists, uh, then a Facebook page, and now it's a Facebook group. And the engagement has been really positive so far. And with this new concept, we're covering all of the topics I mentioned and also interviewing innovative pharmacists to expose students to some of the other areas of pharmacy, which is why I'm so excited with what you guys are doing with this podcast. This is very similar. I'm excited to see how this grows. It's open to all pharmacy students. So please encourage your students to look for the Facebook group. It's just a new conversation in pharmacy that I felt was needed. And 
as you remember, Mandy, and as you know, working with students, they don't know what they don't know. And as pharmacists and alumni, how can we harness our experiences to help the future generation? And anyone who's listening, you don't need a website or a Facebook group to do this. You can find a group of students to mentor locally. When I surveyed students, most of them said they were worried about being successful in their careers, and most did not have an identified mentor. So they're actually looking for mentorship. And I'm doing it on a larger scale, but any of us can call our alma maters or we can call the closest pharmacy school. We don't have to look too far and ask how, how you can help in this area. I appreciate that. You know, it's it's interesting, too, as you talk about mentoring, because uh, that's I always look back on, on how I got to where I'm at and, and mentors became uh, very important uh, to me. And, you know, when I think about students today, I think of students who are looking for different ways. They see the press out there, the negative press, and there's a lot of transformation going on. We see product reimbursement going down. We're seeing contraction of jobs. You know, there's about, what, 144 colleges of pharmacy now, so the supply of, of pharmacists. And we're not seeing pharmacists also retire because, you know, things have changed as far as salaries have not gone up as much as they used to. And so people are staying in the workforce longer, and we got a lot more uh, new pharmacists who are graduating every year. So we're actually seeing the supply outpace the demand. So students hear that, students sense that. And and I was actually um, at a, uh, I was in Dallas uh, at a wedding for, over Thanksgiving and was speaking to a medical student whose girlfriend just got accepted into one of the universities at uh, in California and how she was already worried about was this the right career choice because of all the negative things that she's hearing. So I assured him that opportunities are abound. It's changing, but it's not just in pharmacy, it's in all health sciences. So one of the questions I have, whether it's using this platform or how you integrate it within the uh, curriculum, I believe that entrepreneurialism, leadership, um, innovation, all those are going to be important skill sets for pharmacists coming out because it's evolving so fast. How do we prepare those students to have those skill sets and just to look at the world in a chain that they have to embrace change and not be afraid of it? Yeah, that's a really good question, Randy. And I think I'll start with what we can do as educators and leaders. And just like you said, with entrepreneurship and innovation, we need to lean into what the students are bringing to the table. They have great ideas. They have innovative ideas. And they often get pushed aside by traditionalist views. Students have ideas for improving workflow in pharmacy. They are developing apps on their own. They have ideas for partnerships with food shop metrics. And uh, they see new settings in healthcare that pharmacists haven't tapped into yet. And they want to know how do we get a pharmacist involved in this type of practice. And what I've seen with some leaders is that they don't see the how. So the idea gets dismissed early and students get discouraged early. Some leaders feel accountable for feeling the need to grant everyone's desires. So they end up listening to no one. And so even if we're not in a position to make these big decisions, we can listen and we can make the students feel heard and help them craft their idea, bet their idea, write about it, blog about it. We can't tell students they're the future of our profession and then tell them no at the same time. That's, that's a mixed message. But your question was, how can students of student help. So whenever I get the chance, I tell students that as pharmacists, we are sometimes the patient's biggest advocate. So unbeknownst to many, we are strengthening our advocacy muscle every day. Every phone call we make to the patient's insurance or nursing home or asking a patient's family member to pick up their meds, you know, that's all advocacy. So 
uh, yes, that's part of our job, but think of using the same advocacy muscle to push for change within our organizations. And then when you get comfortable there, you use your same advocacy muscle to push for change within the profession. Start locally, start with yourself, start with your own patients, and then stretch this concept of advocacy to impact more patients and more patients. And then this circle of influence and circle of impact kind of kind of widens. I also, another concept I like to talk about is something called upskill and reskill. I wrote a blog about it, one of my first blogs. And this is defined by Alexander Levitt. So upskill is defined as taking your existing level of expertise and widening it. And reskill is defined as learning something different. So with pharmacists in this current climate, as you mentioned, we're almost forced to upskill and reskill in order to stay competitive. And we learned this early on when trying to apply for jobs and residencies. We tell students as early as first years to build up their CV. So as they approach graduation, they're putting their best foot forward, regardless of what they want to pursue. I remember walking into the mid-year residency showcase and all I saw was a sea of navy blue suits. And I thought, well, how am I different? And how am I going to be competitive? Nobody had a conversation with me about how to, how to hone that in early on. So that's a message that we're starting to have earlier with students is, is beginning this first years. Of course, they don't have to do a residency, but they should adopt this upskill and reskill mindset, not only for professional opportunities, but for personal and professional growth over time. The PharmD degree is an awesome foundation, but we have to stay hungry for learning more to stay ahead of any curves down the road. All those are excellent points. And boy, I tell you, I'm enjoying this conversation. Um, Brooke, you <laughs> and I think a lot alike. You know, yeah. I, <laughs> one of the things, um, just this <clears throat> past week as after I was returning from the trip, and uh, I realized just, you know, I, it gives me time to reflect on on myself as well, too, and, and really what makes me me. And and uh, the thing I wrote to the person I was uh, texting, I said, I just don't think like so many others. They see limitations. I see opportunities. They say it can't happen. I say we haven't tried hard enough. They are bounded by what they are comfortable with. And I embrace change. And I just think all those things you just said is where we're at in the world of pharmacy. And how do we prepare the students to do that? And I think the things you talk about, and I love when you talked about, you know, the advocacy and, and you were already exercising that muscle, but how do we use it to push for change? And as I teach my students and my residents and, and my pharmacists, advocacy is very important, not just advocacy for the profession, but advocacy for our patients. And, you know, I say every patient that comes in should be treated as if it's a loved one or a dear friend that you would do anything you could in your power to make sure that they're getting the outcome and you're going to use your skills and knowledge to make sure that happens. Is if you do that with every single encounter, every single time with every single patient, I said magic happens when you do that. So I appreciate that. That's one of the areas that you're really focusing in on. So thank you for that, for those comments. I do have another question for you. Do you have anything else you want to add to that? No, I just want to say I got goosebumps when you said that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's so true. And uh, I think even myself as a new practitioner, I kind of thought advocacy was something that like other people do. And the organization that I'm a member of, they're going to take care of that. Uh, and I recently gave a talk on advocacy to some pharmacy residents. And I created this infographic that's really, it's a shared responsibility between you as the individual, your employer and professional organizations. It's not just somebody else's job. We're all responsible for advocating our profession. And I think we have to start giving students that message earlier. So I appreciate everything you said about it. 
Absolutely. Thank you. And then my, my last question that we can discuss here is we've talked about the transformation that's happening. And, and obviously, the focus that I'm in right now is transformation within community uh, pharmacy practice. And it's exciting for me to see colleges of pharmacy and other stakeholders really work um, with community pharmacy because, you know, if we cut off an arm, off our body, we know we're going to feel the effects, but we're not quite as effective, you know, if we cut off any limb. And so we have to be advocating for each one of our settings. And I think community pharmacy in, in the more recent past has been one that people just kind of like, ah, eh, you know, that's not really pharmacy the way I've been trained to do pharmacy. And yet it still is the face for the public, you know, for many, many people. So as we talk about uh, community pharmacy uh, transformation, tell me what the work that you're doing with students but also the work you're doing with embedding pharmacists and some of the things you talked about connecting with community pharmacists. But how can students, and I'm going to expand upon that, how can students and faculty help with community pharmacy practice transformation? Wow, that's a big question, Randy. I'm going to do my best here. <laughs> I'll tell you a story. We had a student who wanted to do a research project, and she wanted to, with her idea, to measure utilizing the patient care process, which is now uh, something we're teaching in the pharmacy schools as um, kind of a foundation of how we approach patient care. So it's a standardized process. So she wanted to measure using this, the patient care process and helping with uh, adherence rates in diabetes patients. So she has to do, she works for a grocery store chain, and she wanted to, in her regular phone calls to patients, just incorporate some elements of the patient care process, not really change anything with uh, what she was saying. She was going to measure their A1C twice, uh, et cetera. We got so much pushback from the grocery store chain who refused to allow the student to this project, which would have helped the patient's adherence rate theoretically. And the student just felt at a loss, but she felt like the whole project idea was ruined. Uh, we were shut down by whoever wasn't comfortable with doing this project for whatever reason. So we really had to help the student navigate what to do next. And we encouraged her to look into some independence in her hometown. She had a few independent pharmacies who were serving uh, the population in her area. And she approached them one by one with the same project idea, but they didn't have any of those, and she didn't have any of the resistance that we had from some of the, that we were thinking from some of the major corporations. And what she found when she walked into this independent was this land of opportunity, that there was a solo pharmacist who was working there who probably graduated 20 years ago, who wasn't uh, doing flu shots, wasn't doing A1C checks, wasn't doing blood pressure checks. All the things that the student had been seeing in, in the grocery store chain and what she was hearing from her students, she thought, what an opportunity, and this is just one independent. I mean, the five that are down the street could also be doing really innovative, cool things. So I think independent pharmacies have, and you know this more, much better than I do, Randy, but they have the freedom to try some of these new activities that it, like embedding pharmacists into patient care teams, but allow pharmacists to use their skills, those foundational clinical skills that we teach them when they graduate in a different way. So they, they feel more fulfilled. And they actually feel like they're having impact. What Actually, what we're seeing with this Gen Z uh, generation of students, the newer generation that's entering pharmacy school now, they actually strongly desire making an impact. 
and they actually want to have individual accountability compared to millennials who like group work. And Gen Zs, they like group work too, but they're also okay working solo. And they want to know that they're showing their worth. They're showing their value. They have that individual accountability. So because of their strong desire to make an impact, they may also dismiss something early if they don't see the value, if they don't see the why. So with educators and leaders, we have to constantly start with the why. And I actually tried to train myself that any one-on-one conversation I have or any uh, lecture that I give or any small group facilitation I give, I almost always try to start with the why so that the students see the value first. So we have to have a long conversation with this student who tried to do this research project about the why. Why the grocery store chain probably didn't feel comfortable with this activity. Why the independent pharmacy embraced this opportunity. So I think as faculty, we can help students look at research projects in a different way, uh, look at showing them different avenues of doing the same exact project, but let's try it in a different community setting. And it was a wonderful project, and she showed um, positive outcomes. So I think as faculty, we can just help students see things in a different way. No, that's that's very good. And I love when you talked about the why. You know, as I teach students and as I even teach pharmacists, you know, I, I realize that it doesn't happen overnight. And I think what I've learned, my life lessons is that believe in the idea, be persistent with the idea, and no doesn't mean no. In fact, I always tell people that, you know, you're going to get probably 15 no's before the yes comes for the majority of patients or majority of stakeholders, whether you're working with a payer, you know, a CEO of a health system or just with patients trying to recruit them to be part of a, a service that you want to provide for them. And I said, every time I hear a no, I said, I actually get excited because I know I'm getting closer to the yes. And what's, what I have to do is take that no and figure out and ask more questions about what the objections are. Because the more I can address those objections, the closer I'm going to get to that yes. So I think that's really important for people to understand that um, no does not mean no. It just means you haven't explained it well enough yet for the people to to accept it and to really, you know, continue working with your communication skills and listening skills and and to see if you can get to the objections that need to be addressed so it becomes a yes. The other thing that you talked about, too, is, you know, with this student who had started off with a grocery chain and then found the opportunity with an independent pharmacist. And, you know, I can relate to that. And part of the reason why I left academia is to prove that you know, clinical services could be provided in, in a community pharmacy setting. And what I liked is being the owner, um, my only constraint was me. <laughs> so you know, as long as I could say I believe in this and what I had to do, there were other constraints, obviously. I mean, you had to get everybody on board. And so as I talk to people about how did you do this, I said, you build the foundation first. You have the vision. And you provide that vision, and it should be aspirational and inspirational. And then once you build the vision, then you start building the foundation to make sure that vision can be realized, and you give the resources to the people. But you're leading it at the front because they got to see you you know, doing what you say can be done, and that so they're not so fearful or, or hesitant about doing it. And, and the last thing that I, I teach people is not only is it persistence, but complacency can can kill it all. And so never be complacent, never be satisfied, um, because that's when things start to change very quickly and you're not prepared for that change as well, too. So I appreciate um, all those comments that you made and what you're doing to prepare pharmacy students, especially the newer generation, which I totally agree with you. They want to make an impact. They want to be held accountable and they want to show what their worth is. And I think that's exciting because that's exactly where pharmacy needs to be right now as well. 
So, Brooke, do you yeah, have any other comments? Really, Go ahead. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say I'm really glad you said that about the 15 no's before you get a yes, because I think the other side of this younger generation that we're seeing is that the coping skills may not be like what we've seen with other generations. So with one no or two no's, the student is easily turned away and uh, really discouraged. And like the student that I was talking about with the research project, just was really ready to throw in the towel. So as educators and leaders, what we can do for our students is just remind them that the 15 no's before you get yes, and this is just all part of the process. Uh, so I really, I'm really glad you said that. And I'm actually really inspired by your story, Randy, about how you left academia because you wanted to prove this you wanted to prove community pharmacy transformation. And I'm inspired because it, it reminded me of why I wanted to start this online platform and why I wanted to start this website. Is I was just kind of sick and tired of everyone talking about what kind of skills pharmacy students needed. And alumni were complaining and employers were complaining. And pharmacy students felt like they uh, there was a gap in something that they needed. So I just wanted to be part of the solution. So I just want to thank you, Randy, because um, you inspired me. Oh, I appreciate that. And I tell you, Brooke, you know, um, the presentation I gave this past week um, started off by I wanted people to know who I am and how I got to where I'm at. And my inspiration came from a man that I never met. And uh, his name is Eugene White. And Eugene White in the 60s really created the kind of community pharmacy practice that I've always aspired to. So it was very aspirational and, and learning how he, you know, really challenged the system and bucked the system was very inspirational to me as well. I still remember I made the <laughs> I made a photocopy of the original article that was in the old journal for American Farm Association before it became Jaffa. And I still have that article today. And I always referred back to it because he talked about all the things that we're seeing today. And he saw it before anybody else did. And uh, and so, you know, using that model, I was able to create the kind of practice that we have today. And and it's so my inspiration, you know, came from this man and, and my my nicest thing that I've ever done. And, and I didn't know he was still alive at the time. He, he has since passed away. He passed away in 2010. But in 2010, I had written an article about him and I didn't. It didn't really show the name until the very end of the article, but it talked about how I was inspired by a person that I never met and wrote about all the things that this person did. And at the very end, I said, and this man's name is Eugene White. So Eugene White, wherever you are, thank you. And I got um, I got a nice message from his daughter and a nice Christmas card from his wife because he was still alive. And and at that point, he was in the nursing home, but they thanked me profusely um, because they said oh, you know, he's so great. happy. So, yeah, inspiration comes at any time, and I think you're providing that inspiration as well, too, and, and I think our students deserve that because it's those little pieces that people really never know how far they can go. So, Brooke, I sure appreciate what you're doing out there, so thank you very much. Do you have anything else you'd like to add at the very end here? Uh, no, thank you, Randy. I just want to thank you for this opportunity and allowing me to talk about the website and talk about some of the cool things we're doing. No, I appreciate it too. It, you're doing some great things out there and, and thank you for your passion to the profession and the passion to teach students and getting our, our next generation of students prepared for this changing world. So you're doing some great things. So Brooke, you have a wonderful day and a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Randy. You too. All right. Bye-bye. The Thrive Subscribe podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com, where you can join our free community to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice.